Going once, going twice, sold. You're listening to The Property Pod, an accessible and easy way to get into or help understand the goings-on of the property market. Join Aaron, John and Pat as they discuss all things real estate, most likely get sidetracked and then try and rein it all back in as they present The Property Pod. That's right. Welcome back to the Property Pod. Here we are again for another week and we're very excited to announce we have our second guest on. So very excited to jump straight into that. So without further ado, I will introduce the boys on the team. Throw it over to Johnny Mack. Good morning, everybody. Nice to be here, as always. I see you've had a bit of a trim of the beard, John. Sharp lines, baby. Yeah. You've got to have your sharp lines. Looking real sharp. <laughs> you know that it's a phone link up. It's not a Skype link up or anything like that. Doesn't matter. You've got to look your best. I like that. I can deal with that. It, it, if, now there was an old quote I like from Mystery Men. It said, if, if you care for the outside, what's on the inside cares for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I'm going to unpack that one. <laughs> Shout out to the most underrated film ever, Mystery <laughs> Men. Over to Patrick. Hi, guys. Glad to be here again. Do you think that we're going to get in trouble today for being silly? No, we're going to move straight on to our first guest. So <laughs> do you want to bring her levels up so I we can will. get this going? As? I will. <laughs> Alrighty, are you there, Sarah? I am. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, everyone out there. We've got Sarah Bell with us. She's from Air, I think is how we pronounce it. That's correctly. Well done. Beautiful. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Sarah, just to let everyone at home know uh, who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm co-founder of a company called Air, which stands for Artificial Intelligence in Real Estate, and uh, we make a product called Rita. Feature is, I guess, a robot and um, a software robot, though, not not an Android robot with moving arms and legs and things. Oh, it's not a Terminator. No, no. And Reader's job is basically to connect humans to their computers and humans to their data and humans to each other in a way that's more intelligent. So she sort of just lives in the cloud, I guess, is the best way to describe it for an average consumer. Yeah, we think of her as, as a digital employee because she's, she's smart enough to kind of work alongside you as an assistant or a team member. And um, most people are familiar with the concept of offshoring or outsourcing. So there's things in your business that you can, you know, offshore to a robot if you like. And it feels the same as offshoring to a human, but instead of that person having a physical body and, and living somewhere else, in on the globe, Rita is just a lot of lines of code and she lives in the cloud. Yeah, well, I know we use her daily in our office and she definitely does help the team identify opportunities. So she is a, a great asset to us, that's for sure. One of the things I like that you've done, Sarah, is I'm guessing the choice of actually naming it Rita was not by accident. Um, you've used, you know, digital employee, you've given it a you know, human name, you could say. What was the thought behind um, calling it that or designing it in that way? Yeah, so... It's a very, very good question and, um, you know, I think helping agents or helping people understand the difference between artificial intelligence, which is, you know, where a computer is capable of mimicking human intelligence and making decisions and things. So the difference between working with an expert system like Rita and working with traditional software is, is the automation engine that drives it. So it means that, that you as, as a user or as a human doesn't have to click a bunch of buttons and, and tell Rita what to do. She's capable of perceiving triggers or knowing when things ought to happen in her own environment. And her environment is, is a big data landscape. 
So within her environment, she knows when she has to do something for you to produce a work outcome. So when we start looking at that type of technology versus the traditional user interface and software where you, you click through a bunch of things and make work happen, it's really important that by calling her reader and understanding her as a person that you work with rather than something that you use as a tool, is you know it, it just became easier to kind of talk about her as a person. So Rita stands for Real Estate Intelligent Transaction Assistant, and we got a bit of we got a bit of heat originally for giving her a girl's name because um, you know, and there's, there's lots of kind of ethical considerations about whether or not she should be gendered at all or, or female. But my view is that it's just a bit of a hang up from the English language. You know, yeah. we call cars and boats and airplanes and things she. Um, and, and read because they are machines and, and reader is a machine. So it made sense to us to give her a girl's name. And you obviously, a lot of the time you refer to yourself as reader's mum. So that's just adding to that. <laughs> I heard that, that on a aspect. podcast I was listening to. And it was like, I was like, oh, that's so interesting, reader's like mum. <laughs> yeah, it became, um, it became a bit of a bad habit, to be honest, um, back in the early days. <laughs> we like um, it. Our, our CEO and I would recall offices um, to speak to our clients. The receptionist would have no idea who... Ian or Sarah are, and that's that's fair enough. We're not very memorable, but if we said hi, I'm Sarah. I'm Rita's mum. Like, oh, I know Rita. I love Rita. <laughs> and then, and then you you get just through. But not only is Rita, I guess, humanised in the sense that we want you to think of her as a person. We've we've kind of Rita's growing up with us and with all of our clients. So I think people are really frustrated and kind of over technology because traditional software there's lots of limitations and dependency with it and you know and, and once the product is developed there's some new feature releases but it doesn't fundamentally change whereas Rita is actually growing and, and learning and, and doing new things all the time like we had a first birthday party for Rita last year we were just about to come up to her second birthday party and so I think understanding... Are you <laughs> worried about the terrible twos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're very hopeful for the terrible twos. The, um, the, good thing, the good thing about a robot, and I've got three kids um, as opposed to my human children, is that once you tell them once not to do something, it on that um you said sort of readers learning as you go i guess that's what makes ai technology and reader different to your traditional chatbot which a lot of people potentially used yeah so look a lot of people kind of lump ai and chatbots into the same thing as if they're synonyms but but they're not ai drives chatbots so if you think about how you'd normally use the computer, you've got a screen, which we call a user interface, and that's where you go clicking buttons, and that's how you connect with your computer. Chat is um, a different type of interface. So rather than having software that you navigate around, um, a chat interface like a chatbot um, connects you to the computer, and um, and that's how it retrieves and delivers and receives information from the user. So the, the chat interface isn't necessarily the cool part of the AI. It's actually the data engine underneath it that allows the chatbot to understand what you're requesting and then match it to other data. Okay, cool. That back via, via a chat system. Um, you know, the, we're now looking at, and I think everybody's becoming really familiar with voice interface. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in terms of user design, so we've all got Google Homes and Alexas, and you know, Siri's been been on our phone since 2011. She's come a long way, hasn't she? Since 2011. Yeah, she got through so, the terrible twos. So yeah, we've got did. hope for Rita yet. And it's not fair. <laughs> you think about it. Aside from Google, they're all named after women. So you know, Siri, Alexa. So I mean, Rita, go for it. Damn straight. <laughs> hold your hold your Thank ground. You. 
yeah, mm. so, so I think voice is going to play a big role um, in the future as well. But again, that's just the interface. It's, it's the data, data engine underneath it that's providing those responses. Well, that's really cool, Sarah, because I'm a big Google Home nerd at my place. Our lights turn <laughs> off and on and all of that. So for me to be able to wake up and ask Google to talk to Rita, that sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> Except doesn't Google Home not listen to your wife? She can't understand her voice. She doesn't like her. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but, um, our, yeah. Google, our Google Home here um, snores my request completely and will listen to any of the engineers um, who are all male. So I think while, they, while there's no gender assigned to them, I think it's got very, very clear, clear misogynistic tendencies. Yeah, I, I really get amused by Google at home because my two-year-old can talk to her and ask her to turn a light on fine. My wife can yell at her and she won't do a thing. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Google. We got off a little bit track and I, we said at the start that potentially could happen. I guess our main question is for AI and for reader and just aspects of this whole technology is how does it benefit consumers when I think about the real estate consumer and, and sort of the, the manual experience that they have, and if you, if you look at the buying journey, for example, um, and so they go and they do a manual search on realestate.com, and I think that will change in terms of realestate.com would be better to match properties yeah, rather start than to tell people. Yeah, so, so that I know that, that you know that, that engine is definitely on its way. But then, you know, you inquire to the agent and where the, the kind of the human takes over in that digital process, it can be very, very slow for the consumer to get the information or understanding that they need from the human because we gatekeep a lot of information about properties and about tenancies in real estate. And as the providers of service, as the humans um, in this, we can struggle at times to keep up with the demand. So if you are very busy and you have appointments and you're not in the office or we're all human, we get flus and things like that, if you're not available to provide that response, then the customer has to wait and that can seriously impact the job that you do for that buyer but also how you're representing the seller in, in that sale transaction as well. So AI can intelligently identify the intent of the consumer and match that to data that exists. And then it's up to the human to escalate and perform, I guess, creative and, and emotional labor with the customer, given the constraints that humans have on time. No one's doing that at 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, that really excites me because obviously we have a lot more millennials these days purchasing properties and they need information a lot faster and a lot quicker to have that AI robot fill the gap, I guess, until we're back in a position to be able to call them personally or email them personally. It's a nice touch just to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, and I think um, I guess a research question that's driving me at the moment that I have curiosity about, particularly with millennials, is that, you know, to what level will they trust the computer more than they trust the human? The millennial generation is screen native. They've grown up with chat. They've grown up immersed in, in a screen-enhanced life. And it's quite possible. There's, there's been some kind of social knock-ons of that. You know, look at dating. People are choosing life partners by swiping through eligible candidates like it's like it's a meat market kind of thing, and, and that was that, that's just inconceivable if you met your partner on the internet back when I was dating 20 years ago. Cybersecurity back in the day was don't talk to strangers, don't talk to anyone you've met on the internet, and now the whole thing is if you haven't met them on the internet, you're going about it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you haven't really vetted them digitally. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got to go and, and search out all their socials and find out whether they tick all the right boxes and stuff. I guess when you were saying that, I was thinking about the Netflix recommendations and things that you get once you've watched a show. You kind of just trust that, oh, if you've watched this, you'll really like this. Mm. I guess that's an algorithm that's in there that's encouraging you to do kind of what you're saying. 
Yeah, so the ne- the Netflix suggestion engine, and it's interesting because Rita has a suggestion engine as well, and, and Patrick, we talked about it earlier in terms of recommending from your data people that you should connect with each and every day. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about her functionality in doing that, she's like an assistant that goes through everything and, and gives you your list of who to call and what to say every day. But when I talk about the AI that drives that, I talk about the Netflix algorithm. So what, what Netflix does is it will give you a list of movies to watch and then based on your behavior and, and how you interact with those, it builds kind of a, a digital or a mathematical profile of your likes and dislikes by matching so many different aspects of those movies based on the stars in them, who the directors are, the genre, you know, how long it is even. And then each time you kind of watch a movie, it trains that algorithm to be more in tune with your likes and dislikes. So that's why when your kids take over your Netflix profile, you start getting really whack suggestions about teenage vampire coming of age films. I have that issue with Spotify. (laughs) Yeah. I turn on my daily playlist and Frozen starts smashing out of a morning, (laughs) let it go. Don't love it, Pat. You love it. That is another very good that is another very good example. So, so you know, we kind of give up, you know, the, the types of music and the types of movies and stuff you like, it's not, not a particularly personal thing, although it might be if you did like Frozen, Patrick. But, yep. um, you know, we kind of give up our data or we give up our privacy for the, the value of that in time. Yeah. You know, we, if we if we were to hit Netflix and Spotify and, and go through their library every single time we wanted to watch a movie, try and find something we wanted to watch, we wouldn't have any time to watch a movie. We'd just be wading through content. So it's pretty safe to say most people these days are using AI and they probably don't really realise it. Yeah, so I've, I've heard the metaphor before that we don't think about electricity really when it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you turn the lights on or, you know, I'm sitting here in my phone's plugged in and my laptop's plugged in and, and everything being fueled by electricity. But if that was to turn off, you know, we'd be, be the mess. walking dead. Yeah, that'd be horrible. Absolutely. And and AI is that pervasive as well. Just think about my morning, you know, I had my smartphone with the driven by AI and the alarm went off and then I checked my email and there's AI in my email that tells me what's junk and what's relevant. And then I go into Facebook and there's an algorithm driving the news feed that I see. And then I hopped in my car that my phone plugs into so that my Spotify app told me what sort of music I needed to listen to on the way to work. And then the traffic lights even and driven by algorithms and how much I paid for parking was directed by an algorithm and artificial intelligence. And probably the only interaction I had that we didn't have some kind of AI driving it this morning was my barista who <laughs> just knows my face and makes my coffee. Yeah, I'm not passing, my, <laughs> not passing my coffee to a robot anytime soon. <laughs> That's um, amazing. I've never even kind of thought about every single little step. Mm. And that analogy with the electricity is so true. It's just something we take for granted. I think I listened to a podcast you were on when I was doing some research and you used a horse analogy as well that I really like about if someone was to see the first ever horse and had to describe what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. This technology, it's, it's an incredibly sophisticated product and we haven't all grown up native to it. You know, it's, yep. it's driven by mathematical models. It's all it's all very complex and to try and kind of get an understanding of that or even talk about it, it's a challenge. We just can't do it. But in the same way, we accept so much of so much of that. I don't know how the screen display on my MacBook that I'm looking at works and, and I can see things that make sense to me. So 
So the horse analogy that we use with AI is really just about having some language people understand that are accessible. So the, the horse analogy that we use is that when um, when Cortez arrived in Central America with the conquistadors, you know, settled slash invade, whatever you want to call it, South America, he hopped this, off this boat as a white man with a beard, a bit like Don McGregor, <laughs> and um, and he and he hopped off with with a with a horse. And horses not being native to South Americans, you know, my question is, how did the first guy that saw that go and tell someone else that he'd seen a horse? And how did he describe this new kind of beast that had arrived if he just didn't have the language? And so that's another reason why we spend a lot of our time trying to kind of educate our customers of real estate agents, trying to educate people into, you know, what, what some of these words mean, like what is automation, what is an algorithm, what's artificial intelligence, what are chat interfaces, you know, what's a factor and what's the machine learning and all that kind of stuff because I want people to be able to understand that to make an informed decision about how that's going to impact their work. Finance guys do it all the time. I know I've heard about plenty of people use the word tranche in the last, what was that word, sorry? Tranche. It's like a French word right. and it just means like a like a set, <laughs> like a a level. Oh, okay. Of, um, yeah. Uh, or a segment kind of thing. If you use that word, you kind of stop people understanding what you're talking about unless they're finance guys as well. Yep. So, and I, I don't want that situation with this technology. The way I see that is building on that horse analogy, trying to conceptualise it so people can easily understand it and start to begin to trust it. Because if it's just billions of lines of code, someone's looking at that going, I have no idea what it is. And so you're chunking it down so that they go, oh, yep, this makes sense now. Oh, yep, this makes sense now. Yeah, and I, and I think democratising the understanding of it will stop what we've all seen happen in, in fintech. You know, I think about the, um, this is probably another really weird history analogy, but in ancient Egypt, only the priests could read. Mm. And so they kind of had this whole class of priests that could claim that they were spoken to directly by God. And, and let's just say they were very effective in pushing their agenda mm -hmm. because nobody else could read and, and no one could kind of question that. And I think that's really dangerous. So it's important that people understand how this is impacting their life, where it comes from, and be able to explain it. Even if you can't code, that's not necessary for understanding. That's right. I mean, we just fear that which we don't understand. And the next thought that I had is that now you've moved into the creation side of it and you're coming at it from a different angle as opposed to just a user. Are there any concerns you have? Maybe the fear is the wrong word, but some stuff that's red flags that are popping up in your understanding and experience now that, that might concern you that you're trying to navigate through? Um. We, we haven't come across any ethical quandaries of should we or shouldn't we because we started with a very clear understanding of the domain and, and how data is used. I guess a big part of our job is advising people on, on how to best use and best ethically work um, with the data sets and the AI that exists. And, you know, what's ethical, and not surprisingly to me at all, but, but the ethical approach is also kind of in sync with not only where I think social life is sit, but where actual effective outcomes sit. And I'll, I'll give you an example to explain that because I understand it's very abstract, but we've had customers say to us, could you go through LinkedIn and find people that I went to high school with 30 years ago and then map them to property ownership data so that I can then just kind of show up their yeah. at their house and be like, hey, Maddie, <laughs> good to see you. Yeah. yeah. And, I hate um, that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and my advice, like technically the answer is yes. Yes, you can do that. That data exists and you can make that match. But a much more important question is why. 
Mm. Why would you do that? He hasn't spoken to Matty in 30 years since high school. Like he doesn't want to talk to you now about his property holdings because you don't have a relationship. And also just showing up at his house by virtue of the fact that you want business from him is not an appropriate enough value exchange for him to give up his privacy. So when we look, Facebook asked us to do that. They asked us to give up their privacy in exchange for a relevant news feed platform to interact with our friends. And and recently they've suggested that more relevant advertising is a reason to give up our privacy to them. And and we do that because we get something out of it. But the value exchange piece is really important. Someone once said to me that the difference between a romantic and a stalker is how good looking they are. (laughs) And I kind of think that that's still the social license that we operate with. If you perceive someone as good looking, and I'm doing air quotes, which is unhelpful in a podcast, but (laughs) if you perceive someone as being valuable to you, then you'll tolerate a certain invasion of privacy. But the reality is, unless you've got a clear value proposition, it it just be creepy and it will backfire and it won't be effective to achieve the actual outcome that you want, which is in real estate, it's about trust and it's about relationships and it's about appointments to manage their sales. And from from all the data I've looked at, there's just no kind of way that that could be achieved through some kind of mystery out of that door. Based on what you've just described, Sarah, what I've taken away from that is even though AI is a very important role in helping us, it's not going to replace real estate agents because people want that personal level, that relationship, that trust with the person. So there's still basically a spot there for agents in amongst all of that, I guess. Don't worry, so Pat, the, you're so not the, losing your job. That's <laughs> <laughs> starting to stress. So the replace, the replace real estate agent is a conversation that I have about six times a day with people who are scared or that, you know, just want to want to take it up with me personally. Uh, How dare you a kill our industry? Of the AI movement. <laughs> I got some hate mail addressed to Sarah Connor um, the other day. Yes. And, and, and yet I've got a very, very conservative view about the application of AI to real estate. So I do see it. But the, the flaw in thinking comes from um, this, this series mentality that the idea that either a robot will do something or a human will do something. And if you think about self-driving cars, it's, it's something that's kind of planted that seed, I think, in terms that we think that either a robot will wholly drive a car or the human will drive it. When the reality is that what will make very safe cars is where we actually work in parallel, where the human drives and has a role to play in overriding the confidence of the computer, or that the computer will see something that the human has missed because they were texting or distracted or sneezing. I often think can't sneeze with your eyes open, so there's always some kind of mathematical test that you'll miss something. That's when the computer can step in and override our human weaknesses so that collectively we can drive and operate motor vehicles in a way that is much safer and much better than either a computer or a human doing that alone. And look, we do that with navigation, right? When Mm. you put your Google Maps on, it doesn't know all the local shortcuts you do. Can't operate creative intelligence to drive through private supermarket car parks or whatever it is that that we kind of, when we override the map. So I think understanding how we work together and in real estate, that means that there will be certain things that AI take care of that are not the best use of our time anyway. 
So mining data sets is not a great use of a real estate agent's time. Monitoring the market is not a great use of a real estate agent's time. And there's two things that Rita does. So that the real estate agent has actually got more time to take those insights that Rita produces and then exercise the fundamentally human parts of the job that includes talking to people and listening and showing empathy and, and being creative and yeah, and, and all of that stuff that we do that's human, the robots just can't do if they haven't seen a scenario before. They don't know what to do with it. I think robots will replace a lot of what a real estate agent does, but I think what a real estate agent will end up with is a much funner job, a job that they enjoy more, a job that, that they signed up to do because most real estate agents, when I talk to them, they want to help people. They want to be human. They want to be in the negotiations and the presentation and with the customers. And yet so much of the job at the moment is just behind a computer screen. Well, a really simple thought on that is just there is a lot of information about a property that people need to know um, and they often don't know the right questions to ask. And off the top of my head, I'm just thinking you'll start a conversation with, oh, uh, what are the rates in water? And you say, well, on average, it's about $2,500. I'm like, okay. You know, it's like it's sort of a question that people can often not exactly know why they're asking it, but they're supposed to ask it. And if, yeah. if, if all those questions of factual stuff can be answered before the conversation starts, then what the agent and the or anyone involved in the real estate process is getting to the engaging conversation that the next level down the technology can about something do. real rather than That's just right. yeah, hitting the facts. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, exactly. So there's, there is no emotional labor kind of applied to just delivering factual things. And like you say, I think, I think people, they might not know what the questions to ask are or they might be frightened to ask a human some questions because mm. they might feel that they're silly questions. Mm. You know, what, the, what would be the rent on this property and what would be the yield? Some people might be afraid to kind of ask the agent for the yield because they don't know how to work it out and they don't want kind of that pinchy, dodgy face at them. Whereas you can type that into a chatbot or even more powerfully, if you've got like a, a chat interface for not not the ultimate conversation, but, but maybe like a pre-conversation before the human's ready to talk to you, mm. the chatbot could be suggesting questions that might be wise to ask. You know, you become better educated quickly. Yeah, because we know as humans that people who are educated, you can get them to, to negotiate much to the pointy end of the deal much faster because you can talk about deeper issues and, and finance and, and kind of the fine-tune the deal based on their personal situation rather than kind of just doing that data playback all the time. But the user experience of a bot saying, and are you interested in the likely rental return on this property? Could not just wait to have questions asked of them, they could be offering helpful suggestions as well of content that, mm. that users might want instead of waiting for that to be user-initiated. Yeah, that's a really and, clever way of thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that just gives a whole different slant on customer experience and that found rather than find sort of mentality. And that's why I get out of bed in the morning and, and, yeah. and go through all my AI sequence to get yeah. to work. <laughs> um, that's an exciting new world. I've, I've bought and sold a property. Well, I've got a property on the market at the moment for sale and I've, I've bought one just in the last month. And it's been really interesting to take that customer journey, not in role play, but in my actual shoes life, with yeah, my yeah. actual family. Yeah. And um, and how that could have been improved or optimized and how the stress and the the anxiety could have been taken out of that, exactly. We could probably talk about this all day, but we're starting to get to pointing into this podcast. I do have one last question I want to ask you, though, Sarah, before we wrap up. Where do you see AI in five years' time? Obviously, you've been working with it for some time now and it's evolved pretty rapidly in a short period of time. Do you have a, a vision of where you think it will be 
moving forward? Yeah, I think it's dangerous to kind of predict where it's going to be and it changes so much every day. I strongly believe that the power sits with the consumers, that they will determine value and an AI will have to design to that. I was at a conference recently with a whole bunch of AI developers. I, I was a bit shocked at how disconnected I felt between the people that were creating the technology and people they were creating the technology for. So we think that that industry will become more immersed in the development. And the only way to predict the future is to look back at what's happened in the past and the last time that work changed fundamentally in the way that it has now with the Industrial Revolution when we replaced human muscle with machine muscle. And now we're just replacing human thinking with machine thinking. And in the Industrial Revolution, people smashed their looms and they tried to resist it and there was all kinds of things. But what I know for sure is that you don't want to be the factory owner that didn't put in the machine. Well, sorry to keep it running, but I just want to expand on that question then. Because you've just gone through that process of buying and selling and you are creating the technology that can enhance it. How would you like that process to be different in five years' time using your AI technology? I think it would be really cool to kind of as the customer, be more collaborative in the deal. So I see having information or, or sharing information and being more transparent is about inviting customers to participate in their own purchase or their own sale in a, in a much more effective way. And that being said, my sales agent is probably the very, very best example of human transparency I've ever seen. You know, I know he spent four hours on the phone on Monday and I got this report of his phone call logs and every conversation he had and in the end I had to say to him, like, I trust you to do your job, <laughs> even if I didn't before. I definitely do now. But it was like I made every phone call with him because he was so so transparent in his activity and there is not one microsecond that I've ever questioned what he's worth in terms of the, the ultimate commission that he'll earn. And then from the buying side, I think it just would have been cool to be able to get a faster response on offers and understand when I could get through the property. <laughs> at, the, mm. at the very beginning, it was a couple of weeks before I could get through the property. There was some public holidays and things, feeling like I'm involved and I've got all the information I need to make. Not a perfect decision, but, but an informed decision moving forward will be, I think, where consumers' expectations will be. Now, we're really lucky we can hack into property ownership databases and things like that. My husband's an auctioneer and a real estate agent, so we could do our own research and access a lot of the <laughs> the information we needed in terms of building a, a price and stuff caused me to reflect on how difficult a consumer who doesn't have that extra you know, info. Mm. You know, like you said before, like what was important to us, like we wanted to know what subdividable potential of the block would be and could we raise the house and mm. all the rest of it. And we asked some very specialised questions, mine, but mm. but it would have been easier to have had some kind of central depository where where all of that was was available. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. Um, as Pat said, we could probably talk about this all day and Pat loves his technology. And, and <laughs> I have loved this whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm just nerdy now. <laughs> if you could see the smile on his face just from hearing all this stuff, it would be amazing. But we can't thank you enough for your time. Um, good luck moving forward and hopefully the terrible twos for Rita aren't um, too troublesome. Mm. I imagine in, in five years' time, you'll look back on the terrible twos and everything will be rigidage. I survived them with three human children, so I'm sure we'll get through them robotically. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Not a problem. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. All righty, that was Sarah Bell from um, Air. So she has developed the reader robot, and that was really, really interesting to kind of listen to her discuss 
how that implements our world. I never really thought about kind of as she went through her day and said, oh, the computer does this, computer does this. I was like, oh, holy moly. Like, yeah, it's, it's already happening. We yeah. don't even realise it. Yeah, yeah, so the rise yeah. of the machine, Skynet's taken over. Um, I'm so happy for the Terminator I know, reference. I can't believe oh. she made a reference. Oh. And Pat, <laughs> Pat's just walked away from the table, so me and John are free to talk um, nerd now. Damn straight. But, yeah, she made the Sarah Connor reference. <laughs> and that wasn't even us driving it. No, we didn't drive that. I did. I brought the Terminator up early just so she knew that I was in the know on Terminators. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was good, subtle, um, yeah. what do you call it? Um, Communication. I incepted her mind. That's it. Good one. Bam. All righty. No, that's <laughs> enough of that. Um, we'll get in trouble for talking out of school. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you, Sarah, so much for that. Thank you for listening to the Property Pod. Like, share, subscribe. Uh, do all the things that you do so that um, more people can find out about the Property Pod. Cool. And uh, all the other thing too, we'll put um, links on where to find Sarah and her company in the uh, notes as well. We will. Beautiful. Thanks very much, guys. Cool. Thanks, guys. Bye. 414 Real Estate has been operating within the northern suburbs of Hobart since 2006. With their innovative approach to marketing and managing your property, they have all your property needs covered. Find out more by visiting them today at 414.com.au. As a family-run business, First National Real Estate McGregor understands that the property market can be stressful. However, with a strong team in both sales and rentals, we are here to guide you through the property maze. Find out more today at mcgregorfm.com.